Sin has an erosive effect on the feelings of the heart and of the activity of the conscience, which is why sinning gets easier over time. The more you sin, the easier it gets to sin more. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, and we're continuing our message today, Hated and Despised, part of our series, Snapshots of a Godly Life, based on the life of Joseph. Now, Colin, what we just heard reminds me of how often we hear stories of how addiction begins. Someone takes a few drinks or places a few bets, and the next thing you know, they're trapped. That's exactly what happens with sin in our lives. Yeah, well, sin is a power, and we're going to see the principle that we've just heard in that soundbite illustrated in the story of Joseph's brothers. Here's what it means for us. There is never a better time to begin repentance than right now. It never gets easier. It gets harder, but it will never be easier than it is right now for you in whatever situation you are. Uh, the, the moment is now. Now is the time to turn in repentance from every known sin. It only gets harder, so do it now. Do it soon. So what about the person who says, OK, I get that, but I already know it's going to be so hard and I, I really don't think I can do it. And the answer to that is God's grace is sufficient for you and his power will be made perfect in your own sense of weakness. You say, I don't know that I can break this. No, of course you can't. But the power of Christ is able to break this in you. And repentance begins when you turn to him and you look to him to say, look, here's where I am. I need that by your strength, I will be delivered from this. And therefore, I set my path in a different direction. By your strength, I'm going to follow after Jesus Christ. Well, this is going to be a great message. So join us in Genesis 37 as we continue Hated and Despised. Here is Pastor Colin. The sin of envy is actually, and you'll see this when you, you see what envy is, it actually lies at the root of so much resentment to God that lurks in the human heart. So you think God has said of his beloved son that he will be exalted, that every knee will bow before him. And the envy that is the default mode of the human heart isn't so much saying, oh, that ought to be me. It's saying it shouldn't be him. We don't want to give that position to Jesus. We don't want him to have that. We will not have this man to reign over us. It's the default mode of the human heart. And so this impulse of envying that uh, runs so deep in the human heart leads to a second thing that we see here that I've simply described as resisting. Verse 18, the brothers saw Joseph from afar, but before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, I don't know what was in Joseph's heart and mind as he went out on this journey. It's reasonable, I think, to uh, speculate that uh, he may have thought this would be an opportunity to sit down with the brothers and have a reasoned conversation. Perhaps they could actually talk about the word of God, you know, being away from home, being away from dad and all this kind of thing. Perhaps it would be an easier situation for some greater understanding. God had promised that a great change would come in the brothers, that the brothers would indeed bow to the truth that God had revealed. And perhaps this would be the moment. Perhaps this was the evangelistic opportunity. Perhaps this would be the time when God would do a great work in their heart. 
But the story makes clear to us that Joseph didn't even get to his brothers before their decision was made. Before he gets near, they make their decision about him. Verse 18, when they saw him from afar, before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Here's something that we can draw from that. It's very important. It is a great mistake to make decisions about God while you are far from him. It is a great mistake for you to make decisions about God when you are far from him. And as I prayed about this point in the sermon, it has occurred to me that there will be someone in this service, and perhaps more than one, and that is exactly your position. You're wondering whether it's worth you continuing this profession of faith or whether you should simply walk away. You're trying to figure out all kinds of things about God and and your potential relationship with him. And you came here today and, and yet you know that in your heart you're kind of on the very brink of walking away. And I'm saying to you, it is a great mistake for you to make a decision about God at the point where you are far from him. How different this might have been if the brothers had allowed Joseph to come and if they had sat and if they had talked. God says, come, let us reason together. Let us sit down and talk. How different the path of your life might be if you would let him speak to you. If instead of making your decision while you're still far from him, you would sit down and open your Bible with a humble heart, you would choose a better path. But if you insist on making your decision about God while you are still far from him, there can only be one outcome. So hear the word of God coming right into your situation, right into your pattern of mind, and say to yourself today, God is obviously speaking to me. I must not walk away from him. I must not make this decision while I am at a distance from him. I must humble myself. I must let him come near. I must open his word. And I must let him speak to me. Because that will lead to an altogether different choice and a different path. But these brothers made their decision. And so when Joseph arrived, their minds already made up. They took him, verse 24, they throw him in the pit. And then verse 25, they sat down to eat. Now, how is this possible? (laughs) Joseph, your own brother, you've seen his distress. And he's crying out, chapter 42 and verse 21, and he's begging, oh, have mercy on me, let me out, let me out. And there you are with your Big Mac and chips <laughs> and your nine brothers. Hey, good dinner. Shut up. How is that actually possible? Let me tell you from the Bible. The Bible tells us very clearly about the effects of sin on the human heart. That the more you sin, the less sensitive your own heart becomes. And this is never stated more clearly 
then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19, it is a very important verse. And I've given you on the screen the three translations um, that are all saying the same thing, but I put them there because they kind of give us the sense of what's being said here. The NIV speaks about how in the pattern of pursuing sinfulness, we lose sensitivity. Or the ESV puts it this way, become callous, hard. Or the King James Version speaks of it this way, that having sinned repeatedly, people put themselves in a position of being past feeling. So you see, we hear of atrocities. Our news comes on. We hear of another shooting, another act of terrorism. And you say, how is it possible for a human being to do what that man or these people have done? And the answer is that a pattern of sin in the human life reduces the capacity of the heart to feel so that the brothers can sit and eat their dinner and hear their own brother screaming for mercy and not feel a thing, not even choke on their burger. Why? Because they have lost all sensitivity. They are past feeling. They have sinned their hearts into insensitivity. Now, this is something very important to understand about the power of sin in a human heart. Sin has an erosive effect on the feelings of the heart and of the activity of the conscience, which is why sinning gets easier over time. Sensitivity towards the pain of others diminishes. At one time, when you acted in a certain way, the hurt that was caused to another person carried weight with you, but then you kept on doing it, and now you hardly are aware of the effect on another person. At one time, when you sinned in a particular way, and you came back to God, and the sense of guilt was very, very real to you, and you came and you asked forgiveness and mercy of God, but now you've done this so often that hardly even happens anymore. You've lost sensitivity, and it has been the repetition of sin that has made you less and less sensitive. Your conscience isn't working. The more you sin, the easier it gets to sin more. Now, you have to understand that. You can see that that's why people get further and further and further away from God, because it's not so hard after a while. And here are these men, and they can sit, and they can enjoy their dinner, while their brother is crying out for mercy. And all his cries and all his suffering does not even touch them. They can resist his most intensive plea. Why? Because their hearts are hardened. We'll continue to look at what sin does in the human heart in just a moment, so I hope you'll stay with us. This is Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and if you want to find out more about this ministry, or if you want to go back and listen to programs that you may have missed, or check out our daily devotional, I hope you'll visit our website, openthebible.org.uk. Back to the message, here's Pastor Colin. So we're looking at what sin does in the human heart. Envying. And then this desensitizing that makes us so resistant. So that the word of God's no longer felt within our lives or received within our hearts. And then there's a third manifestation of the default mode of the human heart. And it's in this word lying. 
Verse 20 of chapter 37. They say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, so here's the line, here's the story. We'll come up with a story. And this is what we'll say. This is what we'll present to the world. We will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. Now, you know from the reading that through the intervention of uh, Reuben and Judah, they did not kill him, but in the end sold him. And in that day, way, his life was preserved. And you do see in this the beginning of hope in the life of Judah and Reuben, that at least there's some beginning of the work of grace, then we're going to see that wonderfully working itself out later in the story. But they did perpetuate the lie. They dip Joseph's coat in the blood of an animal, and then they engage in this great deception. They come back to their father, Jacob. We found this coat, they say. Please tell us if it is the one that belongs to Joseph, and Jacob says, yes, yes, it is. Some people live in open defiance of God. But most people are more subtle than that. Most people present themselves as the father's loyal sons. That's true across the world's religions. They place the mask of religion over a life that resists the claims of Jesus Christ so that it is possible to come to worship and to lie to God. And this part of the story is obviously given as a warning to us. Uh, It is telling us that sin is a power that it lurks in the human heart. It is a compulsion and apart from the grace of God... It will manifest itself in envying and in resisting and in lying. And where the grace of God comes to our lives, these are battles in which we will have to be especially active. The default mode of the human heart is to envy God. That is to say that we do not want Jesus Christ to have the crown rights that are his. We don't want him to have that. That's the default mode of the human heart. It is therefore to resist God, to make a decision against him, even while you're far from him, and then harden your heart whenever he comes close to you. The default mode of the human heart is then to lie to God, to continue to come into his presence as if you were a loyal and a faithful servant when the truth is that you are actively resisting him and that you would deny him his claim to the sovereign right over your life. That's the human heart. And when you understand the reality of it, you see why we need the power of a deliverer to change us from the inside out. Compassion in the heart of God, the great love of God for his rebel sons. The compulsion that is in the human heart, envying, resisting, and lying. Here's the last thing today, the comfort that there is for a believer's heart. And I want here just to touch on the last scene in this part of the story, which is the grief of Jacob. Verse 34, Jacob tore his garments and he put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. 
and thirst, thus his father wept for him. Now you can see here, Jacob is beside himself with sorrow over his loss. He tears his garments, he puts on sackcloth. Day after day, it is the same. The sons try and come and comfort him. Now, isn't that a thing? The cause of his grief is the lie that they have perpetuated, and now they try and comfort him in his grief. Extraordinary. Jacob is living with the misery of his loss. The brothers are living with the misery of their lies. What a home that was. What a roof to be under with that amount of sorrow. And they can't communicate. The lie separates them and Jacob won't receive what they try and say. And he was right not to do so. He refused to be comforted. All the words that the brothers spoke seemed hollow to him. And he says, I'll go down to Sheol. I'll go down to the grave. Sheol was the place of the departed in Old Testament times. I'm going down to the grave. Mourning for my son. You see what he's saying? This life doesn't hold anything for me. Now, my hope was in Joseph, and now he's gone. There's nothing left for me. I will live in the sorrow of this loss for the rest of my days. And of course, some of you know what that's like. You'll say, I, I've been there. I know that kind of intensity of grief. Two comments. The first is one from Matthew Henry that I think is helpful. He says, we must never say we will go to our grave mourning because we do not know what joyful days God may yet reserve for us. That's very helpful. God is your loving Heavenly Father. And in the moments of your greatest sense of loss, your greatest sense of sadness, whatever that may be, God in his great kindness may yet have wonderfully joyful days that are stored up and reserved for you. In periods where you know great sorrow over loss, that's something very, very wonderful to hold on to. You do not yet know what joyful days God may have in reserve for you. He is a wonderful father and he is so abundantly good. But the second comment, and of course by far the most important, is this. That the answer to Jacob's grief is that his son, Joseph, is alive. And that is the whole point of the last verse. That meanwhile, while all this sorrow is going on, uh, here's Joseph and he's now arriving at, in Egypt at the house of Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Story to be continued. Jacob your son is alive. Oh, he's gone from you. He's in a far country where you do not see him. He is, has a very special part right now in the great purpose of God. And you may well and legitimately grieve because you do not see him now. But Jacob, understand this. He is alive and the day is coming when you are going to see him face to face and your joy will overflow. And here, of course, is for every Christian in every sorrow that we experience, this great comfort for us that the Son, 
The Son of God who is our hope is alive. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to seek and to save the lost. The one against whom people conspired and then they sold him for silver and then he's beaten and crucified and buried. But he's not dead. He's alive. God raised him up and has exalted him to the highest place. And the one who was despised is the one on whom all of our hopes depend. And he is the one who we will one day see face to face. And that is why the New Testament says we know as believers what it is to grieve. But in our grief, we always have this marvelous hope. And this is the great comfort for the believing heart. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I want then just to leave you very simply with these three prayers that you can use this week. Directly coming out of the scripture, let's pray these things that we've learned into our lives in this way. Ask God to fill you with the compassion that sends and seeks and suffers. What do you know of this? Love. Love for a lost world. Ask God to fill you with this love and with this compassion. That's a great prayer to pray this week. Second, ask God to deliver you from the compulsion that envies and resists and lies. Oh God, I see that this is in the human heart. And as a Christian believer, I'm not beyond being in the place of doing battle with these things when they rise up. Help me to see envy and root it out. Help me not to be resistant to you or to your word, but to allow you to draw near and for me to draw near to you this week. Help me to walk in integrity and not to be covering up the deviousness of my own life by a pattern of lies. And then ask God to strengthen you through the comfort of his son who lives. Father, help me in the grief and sorrow of loss to know that your son lives and that because your son lives, sorrow can never have the final word. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Hated and Despised, part of our series Snapshots of a Godly Life. Some very practical prayers in this message, and if you ever want to go back and listen to this message again, or indeed any of our earlier messages, you can always do that by visiting our website, openthebible.org.uk. And starting this month, every day on the website, you can hear Sue McLeish reading Pastor Colin Smith's Daily Devotional. It's a great way to start the day. Open the Bible is supported by its listeners. If you're able to support us this month in the amount of £5 or more, we would like to thank you by sending you a book. It was written many years ago, but it will be new to many of you. It's called simply Holiness. And Colin, who is this book for? Well, it's in the title. It's for everyone who wants to pursue a holy life. And you know what? That has to be every believer, because the Bible says, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. But here's the question. What's the relationship between God accepting us, the Bible calls that justification, and God changing us? The Bible calls that sanctification. Does God only accept us when he changes us? 
And uh, if God has accepted us before he changes us, is it okay just to rest happy that he's accepted us? Well, Ryle really gets into these issues. What is the relationship between justification and sanctification, between God accepting you so that you have peace with him through Jesus Christ and God changing you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I think most of the main questions that I get asked as a pastor, questions that trouble ordinary believers, arise from a confusion between these two things, justification and sanctification. It's about, well, you know, I'm not yet the Christian that I want to be. I've not yet changed as much as I would like to. Has God really accepted me? You see, that that's right on the hinge between these two things. And Ryle gets at that in such a clear and biblical way. That's why this is such a helpful book. It will help every Christian to make sense of their own experience. We want to send you a copy of this book. It's my J.C. Ryle. You can find details of this offer, along with how you can support Open the Bible by giving. Just go to our website, openthebible.org.uk. If you're able to commit to a donation this month of £5 or more, we would like to thank you by sending you a copy of the book, Holiness. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and we look forward to you joining us next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. Which is easier to understand, the Old Testament or the New? Find out next time on Open the Bible.